The question before us is the question that was before the early Christians in the first century. And James uh, really answers that question, how then shall we live? How shall Christians live who are living in days of distress? And here is his answer. Hold on to your faith in Christ. He will apply that in a very unique and a special way. The earliest uh, song I can remember uh, from my years of uh, Sunday school, this song was about um, the impartial love of God. You may have heard it, you may not. It goes like this. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are what? Precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Now that song is simple, but it had great theology. I also learned when I was a uh, young boy going to school, it's one of the things I learned anyway, was this same thing applied to our Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain Unalienable rights like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We hold those truths to be self-evident as well. I took those words, that theology to heart as a young man. Um, And as I travel to various countries at this stage of my life, I can see how true that little song is. Because I see beautiful people, red, yellow, black, and white, and they are precious, not only in God's sight, they are in my sight now. I love them and they love me because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. When my brother asked me to uh, perform his wedding... He was going to get married to a beautiful Christian African-American woman. I joyfully accepted it with honor. In spite of the great pressure that I had against me by my parents, some in the family, and even a prominent pastor in the area. One of my daughters has also broken the color barrier. She has eight children. Four are her own that she had by birth. And now she's adopted four children. And uh, she has a a beautiful Asian little girl and, and a boy. A cute white bread little girl that we kind of threw in. And a handsome Little young black boy, Elijah. And I can say I couldn't be more proud of all my 14 grandchildren. I love each and every one of them. 
So when my family, my brother's family and sister's family, we get together, it's like, hmm, let's see, a circus and a United Nations meeting. It is crazy but fun, filled with love, filled with uh, lots of energy. Um, I watch them running around, um, having a ball. They love each other. They play games together. They throw water balloons. They kid around. And when I see that, I have a better understanding of why that little song so true. That Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And uh, I paused and thought about these things this week. And I thought, wow. I can only imagine how awesome it's going to be when all the saints, rich and poor, black and white, red and yellow, from all racial and language groups, From around the world, they stand together with their hands raised to the sky before Christ, singing his praises at the top of their voices and playing every imaginable instrument with unimaginable reverential joy. My friends, that's going to be an awesome day. But we have a kind of an idea what that will be like When we have a church that loves red and yellow, black and white. Um, But back on earth, there is another sound. It's the sound of a troubled planet. Where angry nations are deeply divided over politics, race, economics moral values, and faith. And sadly, this will not end until the Prince of Peace returns to judge the earth. Until then, we are called by James to hold on to your faith and don't let go. This is the message of James, the half-brother of Jesus, gave to the early church And sends it down to us. In simple but profound words. He is exhorting Christians. To be imitators of Christ. The church was facing persecution from without. And division from within. And he urges Christians in this book. In their distress to count their problems as opportunities for spiritual growth. To ask God for wisdom when there seems to be no explanation for why things are the way they are. To act upon the truth of God's word. To remember that there is a crown of righteousness that awaits us. And not be deceived or to deceive ourselves thinking that we are righteous. Our religion is good when we have unbridled tongues. And now we come to a very short text where James addresses an age-old, sadly 
found in the church sin. It was there then and it is now. It is called by many names like prejudice, discrimination, bigotry, preferentiality, or partiality. James' words are as relevant today as they were then. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. In just that verse, he has spoken some very profound things for us to consider this morning. That our faith in Christ calls us for impartiality towards all. Jesus was impartial. And James calls us to a life of impartiality. And we show our impartiality. We learn about the, the, uh, the important values of our life from Jesus. He says, by holding on to your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of glory. Now, grammatically, that word, that phrase, holding on to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, can go two ways, and both are equally uh, appropriate. Grammatically, it can mean either that we are hold on to the same faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, or hold on to faith that we have in Christ that calls us to be impartial. And both are true. Christ's faith showed no favoritism to anyone. And we are to show no favoritism as well. And the Old Testament is very clear about that. That we were, they were Israel's warned, and we find as well the scripture speaking to us, that we are not to be unjust or partial against the poor, or favor the person with wealth or power. Even today in our own culture, we see justice portrayed for us as a woman. And what is so unique about it, and, and it was even in the Old Testament, the idea is that our justice does be blind blindfolded, if you would, to race, gender, riches, or religion. Therefore, with this background, the church knew better than to be partial in their treatment of those who entered their assemblies, their congregations. But what is meant by partiality, as James uses it? Literally, it means receiving face or how you receive the face of someone or making a distinction by face or categorizing people by face or color or any number of different ways. Um, Partiality is showing honor to some while dishonoring others. 
It makes arbitrary class distinctions. That Christ did not make. In other words, how can we say we have faith in Jesus Christ and excuse away any form of discrimination and dishonor amongst ourselves? Now think of the Lord of glory. (laughs) This magnificent manifestation of the invisible God. When he was here, he showed no prejudice against anyone, and we are called to do the same. Now he goes on. Later, we won't talk about that text completely, but I bring it up because it's in the context. If you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. How many years has the church in America excused away discrimination? It is what it is. Sin. Jesus treated everyone impartially. In Mark 12, those who followed him, they knew that. They were around him and go... Have you ever noticed the way he treats everybody? They said, teacher, we know that you are true and you care about no one. That means that you don't have a particular care for some and not all. For you do not regard the person of men, but you teach the way of God in truth. They got it. He's so different, unlike us. And we are to be imitators of Jesus, especially in the way we treat one another. He loved and treated all manner of men and women equally against the culture of which he was a part. He befriended misfits. He touched untouchables. He forgave the unforgivable. He accepted both Jew and Gentile. And he welcomed little children into his laps, which was not a common thing to do. And here's the point. We are to become imitators of Christ's love that reaches out to people everywhere. If the Lord of glory, who has this unapproachable Glory can touch the untouchable and love the unlovables and forgive the unforgivable. How about us? He's the brightness of God's glory who became flesh and he dwelt among us. He loved ethnicity. The poor and the uniqueness of every image bearer. Every image bearer. God is by nature holy, therefore he is infinitely just and impartial in every way. Deuteronomy 10 may be an allusion in this letter that James uses. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who what? Shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. 
He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. The Lord instructed Samuel, the prophet, on how to select a man to be the first king of Israel. And he's saying, I want you to consider this person differently than most. And he gives them these words. For the Lord does not see a man as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but what? But the Lord looks at the heart. We need to be less focused on skin color, language, and more on the heart. The heart of people. Uh, This is just not something that James picked up. But certainly a part of Paul's teaching. For there is no partiality with God. Romans 2. Romans 10. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Forever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is never partial in his judgment towards anyone because of physical appearance, socioeconomic status, or racial identity. He has pronounced that we are all sinners in need of grace. No partiality here. No partiality at our church. Welcome sinners because we're all sinners. And he's declared that those who were once unrighteous are now declared righteous in Christ. And he declared them righteous. He declared us righteously impartially. God's impartial love reached out to us. David McKenna writes in a book that's really has some hard things to hear. He speaks to the church in America. By leaving the ghetto behind, the church has implied that its mission is meaningless to the poor, the hopeless, and the wretched, except when an ocean separates the church from the ghetto. In other words, you can be big on missions, but not on Local evangelism, local care for the homeless. These are uncomfortable words for us who live in a suburban fortress. It's hypocritical to say that we hold to the faith of Jesus Christ when we measure the worth of someone by our own arbitrary social categories or ethnic distinctions. Therefore, there is no biblical rationalization or excuse for social prejudice or racial discrimination. But what did hmm, partiality look like in the church of the first century? Well, James gives us an example. It's in our text. For if a man wearing a gold ring 
and fine clothing comes into your assembly. And a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, Oh, you sit here in a good place. Well, you say to the poor man, uh, Why don't you sit down at my feet? Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thought or intent? You see, faith in Christ is inconsistent with discrimination against anyone. Preferential treatment of the rich is contrary to faith in Christ. And James set this story up about the rich man, the poor man. What's interesting about this story is, notice there are a lot of chairs in the church and they're filled. No one got up to offer the poor man their place. Except to sit at his feet as sort of subservient, less. But they did find room for the rich men. That's partiality. That's selfishness. That's inconsistency with what it means to have faith in Christ. He is exposing the inconsistency between faith and works. So let's set up a kind of a hypothetical situation here in our church. Let's say you and your spouse are greeters at church next Sunday. And up walk two families. One fine family is finely dressed and appearing all together. You recognize the husband by the new expensive car that he drove in the parking lot. And he looks like such a great guy. No doubt is. Maybe a future uh, men's leader or a big tither. The wife also looks familiar because she's a local Bible study leader and teacher. Now she would be a great catch for the women's ministry. And their children, they're all nicely dressed and carrying their Bibles or their phones with their app in there. And they attend a private Christian school and can recite all the creeds and confessions from memory. And you're thinking, wow, wouldn't it be great if they would come to our church? They could be awesome in Sunday school, the youth ministry, men's and women's ministry. And then while you're admiring this nice suburbanite family, along comes another visitor to the church. She's a shabby, shabby-dressed single mom, a bit disheveled and flustered. She's holding a snotty-nosed baby in one arm while holding her hand out to a rambunctious, whining little boy. And you're tempted to think, hmm, wait a minute, one family's a great addition and the other one is a great project. Um, one fits in so well and the other one seems a bit out of place. 
Now be honest. Tell me, which family would you introduce to all your friends here in the church and then ask them to sit down by you? Do you feel the tension? And what if I told you that the single mom was an unemployed black woman or a Hispanic woman as well. I mean, would you be tempted to treat the two families the same? The point is that both families need to be welcomed. Both families need to hear the word of God. Both families need to be loved. So who are we to judge the worth of someone on the basis of their face, their dress. Now, so we're just not hypothetical. Let me give you a real life example that occurred right here. One Sunday, there was a man who came to visit our church, and he intentionally dressed in mixed, matched, wrinkled old clothes. I mean stripes uh, and uh, just the bizarre mixture of patterns and so forth. He intentionally dressed that way. And when he cleared security at the gate, he stood in the courtyard. And he waited for anyone to greet him and to welcome him. No one did. Now that happens. So we entered the church and he sat down right back there. And so when I walked by him, I looked at him and I, I took a stop. I looked at him and I knew who it was. He was a pastor that I had known and knew of a church about 30 miles away. And I said, what are you doing here? He said, well, I heard you were attending the church, so I wondered what it was like. And he went out to tell me how, how, how lots of people in the courtyard saw him, but turned their heads feeling uncomfortable, and they walked by him as if it, they really didn't want to engage conversation. And so I asked him, so why do you do this? Why do you do this? His answer was perturbing. He says, once in a while I take a Sunday off to visit churches to find out how they welcome strangers. Well, I could tell you this. If I have a Sunday off, I can guarantee you I am not going to be going to another church dressed up that way to try to test and see on how the church welcomes people. But he does. Here's what he said. For some reason, church people seem to avoid strangers And avoid those who look different from themselves, even though they say they want to reach out to the community. That's interesting. Well, so maybe James does hit pretty close. Feeling uncomfortable, not knowing what to say. To avoid those that we don't know. 
avoid strangers, people that might look a little different. You see, discrimination is judging another person's worth with evil motivation. Every human is born an image bearer, made in the likeness of God. Why do we hold to the sanctity of life for the unborn infant? Because they are made in the image of God. Why do we, why do we hold to that and not hold to the same thing for someone who is dressed differently? has different colored clothes, or skin rather. Jesus warned about this because he saw it. He said, judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And Proverbs adds this, another right hand, To the chin. He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. I take it that the Lord doesn't take it lightly when we are preferential. Listen, my beloved brother, says James. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Now this is really a fascinating idea. God impartially chose us to be rich in faith. He has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. He who was rich became poor that we could become rich in faith. Now, who are these poor? Well, in reality, we are all undeserving poor sinners, dead in our sins, enemies of God, spiritually bankrupt, and children of wrath. But the Lord did an amazing thing for us. And here it is. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious uh, grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The Bible tells us that God chose the unlovely of the world To show forth his love. He chose the spiritually poor. To reveal his infinite grace. He chose the foolish. To confound the wise. He chose the weak. To shame the mighty. He chose us by sovereign grace. So that no one could ever boast. Of their own goodness. Or of their righteousness. Or of their racial uh, identity. Or of their riches. And what has he promised? He promised his kingdom for those who love him. Hey, think of this. Do you love him? Yes, I do. But what if we remind ourselves we love him because what? He first loved us. He promised us a crown as well as a kingdom. The father saved us out of the goodness of his own pleasure and not for any goodness inherently found in us. 
If you are a child of God sitting here this morning, it's because God was impartial. We are debtors, therefore, to every man, woman, rich or poor, lovable or unlovable, sober or inebriated, saved or unsaved. And God despises those who dishonor the poor. So let's, for a moment, consider these things. All of us desire mercy in time of need as well as justice when it favors us. When somebody wrongs me, you know what I want? Is justice for them. But when we have been discriminated against, we cry out for that justice. Yet when we discriminate against others, especially the poor, we have made ourselves unjust judges of those Christ called us to love and care for. When we see the poor and hear their cry, we are to remember our original state in which Christ found us. How did he find us? Spiritually dead? An orphan. And God adopted us. Only by the grace of God go we. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light so that we could inherit his glorious kingdom. And those who seek to know the heart of God, are you here this morning and say, you know, I really do want to know the heart of God? Well, let me tell you, if you know the heart of God, you will have a burden for the lost. You will have a burden for the poor. You will have a burden for people who are cast-offs in our culture and society. We are called to be compassionate to anyone who enters these doors or comes into our courtyard. Let me encourage you, implore you, persecute strangers when they come into our church. Persecute them when they come through the gate and in the courtyard. Persecute them with kindness. Persecute them with hospitality. Show them the church facility. Welcome them to come and sit down by you. Find out their name. Find out about their children, if they have children. Find out what their needs are. Now, remember the words of that little song. Can you help us out? This is the part of the the sermon where I I serve our pastor by turning this into a Sunday school class. So, (laughs) When I ask him to do this, he goes, what? Let's sing it together because it's great theology. And if you don't sing, I know you know it. Yeah. (laughs) So there's no excuse. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world Red and yellow, black and white They are precious in His sight Jesus loves the little children of the world One more time Jesus loves the little children of the world Red and yellow, black and white They are precious in His sight Jesus loves the little children of the world 
Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That was awesome. I thought you would like that, actually. I was going to do two more children. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. You actually can tap your toe to that song, which I love to do once in a while. Well, you see a table here before us. Let me say this. There is no partiality at this table. It's all sinners are welcome. All. All confessing, repenting sinners are welcome at this table. Paul warns those who come. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then... And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. There is no partiality here. Without exception, we're all sinners in need of God's grace. So let us repent of any sin. And then accept God's offer of infinite grace. Examine yourself, confess your sins, and then come. This table's for you. If you are not convinced of your relationship with Christ, uh, this is your moment to quietly, where you are, to pray. And just simply say, Lord, I believe. I believe that Christ was crucified, buried, and rose from the dead. Please forgive me of my sin. And this table is open to all. We invite all of you to come to the table. You can do that by coming to the to the aisle, coming down, people will be here to hand to you the bread and the cup. Take that with you back to your uh, row and wait until all have been served and then we will take together. If you are uh, unable to come or prefer not to take it uh, up front for some reason, then please just raise your hand and uh, one of the Men here will bring that to you as well. So now as we uh, prepare to take of the cup, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Prepare our hearts to receive the bread and the cup. We pray that you will, um, your spirit will convict us of sin, but just as quickly give us the reminder of your grace and your mercy. Thank you for what this meal means to each of us. May it be a blessing to your people. May the bread and the cup nourish the faith of those who come. May you um, remind us of the great day that awaits us when we shall take of this with you again in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.